All right. Well, we are on our last week on our Do Something campaign, taking looks and, uh, and asking each other both here and in our life groups during the course of the week, how can we do things to motivate one another onto acts of love and good works? The whole idea has been to explore how we can do things that have kingdom value using the gifts and talents that God has given you individually and to do those things in such a way that edifies the church and helps impact the community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, everything we do in word or deed should be done as unto the Lord and should have impact in the communities where we are responsible to bring the good news and to live it out accurately in our everyday life. Today we're going to be talking about stewardship. So in week five, the theme is stewardship, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at it both in three foundations and three applications. Now, to be fair, I'm going to front load your conversations in your life groups this week uh, with, with several things. I'm not going to close the loop on everything. So there were some questions in first service about, yeah, I feel like you should have kept going on this. And um, no. <laughs> the idea is I want you to get into your life groups and have to struggle through and answer through and, and bring those things to fruition. If you're not in a life group, then um, A, shame on you, <laughs> and, uh, and, and B, that's not condemning, that's challenging. Um, but C, what I want you to do is I want you to take these study guides and I want you to engage them. Um, I, I write them each week in the sense that it should ask questions that should spur conversation that you need to finish up, that you need to make applicable, that you need to make personal in your groups. And if you're not in a group, you can do it as an individual. Many of you, um, I think I was 17 emails, I think I responded to this, this past week. Some of you were not really happy with last week's challenge. Um, and, and that's okay. I'm not going to apologize. The intention uh, that I'm trying to, to do here as a pastor is to challenge you in some ways. It's not condemning, but I want you to understand that Jesus was the good shepherd, right? And Jesus led with a rod and a staff. So from time to time, pastors need to poke you in the middle of the chest and remind you that you have a responsibility as a Jesus follower to, you ready? Live like it. And if your life doesn't look different than the culture around you, and you have so acquiesced to culture that there's nothing unique about you as a Jesus follower, then you've become what Jesus referred to as that salt without taste and a lamp making no light. So we need to make sure that we are living the Christian life in a way that has impact around us so people recognize it and are challenged to ask, what is the reason for the hope that is within you? And that we need to be ready with an answer. Okay? Good? We're all still friends? Okay, good. <laughs> you don't always need to like me. I just want you to, I want you to know that I'm going to teach you the truths. Three foundations you're going to be exploring this week, and I want to make sure that we open up understanding these as it, regards, as it uh, uh, refers to or relates to uh, stewarding and the way that we're going to engage this. You're going to be reading from Colossians 1, 15 to 20 this week. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. This is a really, really unique and, and interesting passage of Scripture. It's a hymn. It's an early Christian hymn. And um, what, what was happening here is that Paul was familiar with what the church in Colossae was singing and what Ephesus was singing, and, and uh, he was taking their hymns and he actually put it into his letter, and he quoted that hymn. It would be like a, a song that you hear on Christian radio, and, and you, you would refer back to the words, uh, the, it is well, or whatever. I'm kind of liking that song this week by Bethel Music, really good, by the way. And uh, so some of the words of that just resonate in my mind, and that's what Paul was doing, was putting these words into their mind to resonate. 
And it challenges us on three foundations. And those foundations, number one, is that Christ created all things and will redeem all things. So when it comes to stewardship, remember, Christ is the creator and he will be the redeemer of all things. The second one to remember foundationally is that there should be no separation between sacred and secular. We as Christians are sacred people, bought with a price, with an outstretched hand. And because we are His children, His, uh, his creation, uh, His stewards, there should be no separation of what is holy work and what is common work. We do all work as if it is holy. Amen? I want to make sure you guys are awake. Do we need some more coffee? Another coffee break real quick? Okay. <laughs> yes. Told off you can get coffee whenever you need it, buddy. And then number three, we must learn to see all acts of stewardship as acts of worship. And Paul speaks to that, that all that you do uh, is, is your reasonable act of worship, presenting your bodies. I want to make sure that everything we do, we do as an act of worship to our God. Now, you should read that passage, that beautiful hymn in Colossians. And then when you get to your life group this week with your study guide, what's going to happen, having engaged that passage already, the conversation in your group is going going to get somewhat, uh, shall we say, lively, because you're going to be confronted with, okay, how do I do my job in a way that's sacred, even though it's a secular job? I think it's going to be a good conversation. So those are the foundations we're going to build on. We good with those? Okay, so for message time today, for this next three or four hours, uh, we're going to be talking about application. Uh, Dale, I'm kidding. You'll be out of here in plenty of time. Uh, application in three particular areas. Okay, so from Scripture, we're going to make three possible applications of many that could be made with regards to stewardship. So just so we're clear, there are many, 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 many ways you can apply this. We're going to look at three. Groovy? <laughs> First, the way that we steward the earth. Second, the way we steward our vocations. And then thirdly, the way that we steward our daily behaviors and these recycle bins that are up here will make more sense than just some of you wondering why they're not in the back for me to throw my cup in. Uh, so we're going to talk about those three. The way we steward our earth, the way we steward our vocations, and the way we steward our daily business. Stewardship, by definition, is the process of managing someone else's property while it is entrusted to our care. Have you ever been left with uh, somebody else's car to drive? That ever happened? You know, you, you needed to borrow somebody's car, yours was down or whatever, and they gave you theirs to use. How do you treat it? Carefully? Okay. I grew up hearing it like this. This is what, what I would hear from my dad. If you borrow something, give it back better than the way you got it. Okay? Leave it better than the way you found it, right? I think that's a, that's a generational thing, and I heard that a lot from, from my parents, you know, early, early boomers speaking back to me, give it back better than you got it. And that's, so that was ingrained into me, and that's the way I've tried to do things. So um, I, I've tried to teach that to my kids, so to Madeline and to Will. If you borrow something, put it back better than the way you found it, or at least the way you found it. See, that's stewarding somebody else's things. Um, and so you manage it as if it's theirs, not as if it's yours. So that's the issue of stewardship. Okay. Um, Hang on just a second. Guys, it, it, my, the screen went funny on me, and it's an extra password. I don't know what's going on there, so I'll hand it to the smart people, and uh, they'll do that. So if I'm managing it as if it's somebody else's, it means I'm going to take extra and special care of it. Um, and my sermon notes are all on my iPad, so I'll just sit here for a little while. How are you guys doing? Cool. Yeah. Thanks. 
I meant to print them out, and I didn't because we're moving our offices. So when moments like this happen, I really am completely dead in the water. And if I try to uh, freelance here and try to remember what my next point is, I will mess it up. So we're all going to give Dave a hand a second because he saved the day. And this awkward few moments that we're spending together, we'll just forget and pretend it never happened. Let me go get some coffee. I'm dying here. <laughs> uh, the one that's directly after this? Hey, that'll work. Now I know where I'm at. Okay, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus begins talking about stewardship with a parable. We began our study in, uh, in Do Something talking about kingdom value, things that have kingdom value, things that uh, matter in the kingdom of God, the king's way of doing things. So Jesus began a very famous parable this way. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. While he was gone, uh, he gave uh, five bags of silver to the one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Now, we know how this story culminates. It comes together. If it's new to you, here's how it works. The master, or Midas, as he's referred to in Scripture, goes away, and he comes back years later. And to the first servant, he's given what amounts to about 10 years' wages. And he said, steward my resources. And he did this to each of them. The first guy had taken his resources. He had invested them wisely, and he had managed them really well, and he, and he doubled his master's resources. That's pretty good, okay? Uh, the second one had, had been given a, maybe, maybe three years' wages or whatever it may be, and he did the same thing and stewarded it really well. The last guy, though, he goes, whoa, and I how Midas is. So he hides the money, digs a hole in the barn, hides it or in the field, and, and then when the master comes back, he goes and digs it up and hands it back to him. And so the master, uh, as the kingdom of heaven illustration, he said, you stewarded brilliantly. You stewarded according to your resources and abilities brilliantly. You took your resources and hid them, and you didn't use them in a way that had any kind of impact. And although you kept them intact, it's still good resource. You didn't invest it. You didn't steward it in a way that benefited me. We're given resources. Now, a few weeks ago, we had talked a bit about the time, talent, and treasure resources that invested in each one of us. Some of you have been given the gift to, the, the gift to teach. Others of you are great encouragers. Others are edifiers. Um, the, the way God has given gifts to you is the way you should use them to have kingdom value. Kingdom value means that moths can't eat it, thieves can't steal it, Rust can't destroy it, and changing markets can't devalue it. So that's the way we steward the resources. So when it comes to that first issue of how we steward the earth and our natural resources, let me begin with an illustration. How many of you read the book Robinson Crusoe? William Defoe? We read Robinson Crusoe. Um, The guy's real name was Alexander Selkirk, right? You know it's not really Robinson Crusoe. And he's, he was stranded on an island out in the Pacific off the course of coast of Chile. And the name of the island was, was Masa Tierra, or later they called it Juan Fernandez Island. But Masa Tierra means closer to land. Um, the island out there um, was unique, along with Easter Island and the Galapagos, and that they had plants and animals, flora and fauna, that grew on those islands that were nowhere else on planet Earth completely untouched by humans until 1554 when the conquistadors landed on Masatiara. And when they got there, they found this amazing paradise, fresh, sweet water, all this timber, amazing animals they'd never seen before. And so what did the Spanish do? They cut all the trees down, killed all the animals, wiped out all the resources, and left goats and pigs on the island to destroy the rest of it. And they wiped out 
the ecosystem of that island. The only reason any of it was survived is that there were seeds in the ground. And some of the seeds had grown and some of the indigenous trees and plants had, had grown back. Um, this is the story of Juan Fernandez or Masatiara Island. And it's a microcosm of what happens when we don't take care of things that we've been given to take care of. Is it working? The other one. Thank you, boss. Okay. Zoop. Find my place here real quick. So in Genesis chapter, um, chapter, oh no, it's down again. Ah! In Genesis chapter 2, I really should have printed them and I could have stayed on task. Um, God's given instructions in the Garden of Eden. He tells Adam and Eve uh, to take the earth, to manage the resources, and to steward it. These are the instructions that he given. But one of the words that he uses there in Genesis 2 is to, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Do you remember that phrase? And we read that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And that term dominion um, is, is in a very positive light in its original language. And what God was trying to tell people, and Moses was trying to translate to people as he was telling the story God gave him, is that Adam and Eve were to manage and take care of God's resources. And having dominion means you are responsible for it. But when we transliterate that to the English language and we have dominion, it sounds like dominate. And it sounds like use it any way that you want as long as it benefits you with no regard for the impact. And that is the way that the conquistadors had treated uh, Masatiera. It's the way that so many of the, the English uh, settlers came to the United States and they treated the land that way. They took dominion, all right, but they didn't take responsible stewardship of the land. And that legacy lasts even through today. We're not, as human beings, always paying attention the way we should to the fact that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the way that we treat it should reflect a respect for God and a respect for what's His. And what belongs to God? Well, Scripture tells us everything. The earth and all that's in it are the Lord's. Therefore, we should treat the earth and all that's in it as if it was God's and steward it well. Bump forward a couple slides. There's a picture of Francis Schaeffer. He's on the right. It's the guy with the really great goatee. Francis Schaeffer had this to say in 1954. He said, The Christian is called upon to exhibit this dominion, but to, exi to exhibit it rightly, treating the thing as having value in itself, exercising dominion without being destructive. So Christians' responsibility for the earth is to have dominion over it, but to treat it as stewards and to treat it responsibly. The next slide is going to be John Calvin. Now we're going to go back to the 16th century here. In 1554, John Calvin said, Dominion is to mean responsible care and keeping that does not neglect, injure, abuse, degrade, dissipate, corrupt, mar, or ruin the earth. Did that leave anything out? Calvin tended to be somewhat complete, didn't he? <laughs> that's, that's the lawyer theologian. That's why he was such just a warm, cuddly, fuzzy guy, right? But, but some of the things that, that Calvin was really trying to nail down is that Christians should steward the earth in ways that don't neglect and injure and abuse and degrade and dissipate, corrupt, mar, or ruin it. We need to steward it in a way that brings glory to God because it belongs to Him. And the way that we treat God and God's people and God's planet should be different than other people. It should demonstrate that there's a change in our heart and in our value system. Slide. The way that we treat our mountains and our trees and our waterways and our ocean and the air that we breathe and share and the water and the grass and the, the wetlands, the way we treat these things should demonstrate that there's a change in us 
that we recognize that we are stewards of what we're simply borrowing from God and from future generations. Slide. There are seven degradations that, that um, uh, Calvin DeWitt identified that happened to the earth as a result of humans' activities. Now, this is Christian as well as non-Christian activities. But as early as 1984, DeWitt was identifying these things that the Christian church needs to identify and do something about. And the ones that he identified started with land conversion. Human beings change habitats by using it for the way that we want rather than the way it was originally intended to be used. Um, and therefore, it changes. There's a degradation. Second is species extinctions. We use them up or we wipe them out because they're in our way or we exploit them. And so species extinctions happen. Next, there's land degradation. Much like Masatiero, what they had done is they destroyed the land by taking all of the trees and the original flora and fauna off of it. And so the land began to degrade and, and, and soil erosion and things. And now there's places all over the island where, where you can't grow those original crops and trees and the indigenous vegetation um, that they were destroyed. And this happens a lot with mining. This happens a lot with agriculture. Uh, we read continually about how the rainforest and tropical forests are being cut down in order to make way for cropland. And, you know, a crop can only grow a certain amount of time before you have to start putting fertilizers into it, and that leads to hazards and global toxification, which are the fourth and the fifth uh, types of degradations. And then beyond that, we have alteration of planetary patterns. What's he talking about? DeWitt was identifying the fact that the amount of carbon that we pump into and then greenhouse gases we pump into our atmosphere every year, this has started to have a change in the way that our atmosphere works, the way the, the global weather patterns work and the temperatures of oceans, the temperatures of the air. When the earth changes by just a couple of degrees, it really has tremendous impact on weather patterns. And then finally, human and human cultural degradation. We go in and we homogenize. We make everything the same Walmart and McDonald's way. And so now, rather than having unique culture and unique agriculture and unique uh, businesses and unique... Uh, the, it all starts to become the same and look the same. And we go and we, in our imperial mindset, we try to make everything be just like ours. So these are degradations that human beings have caused around the earth. And it's not a political thing. So here's where we need to be careful. Uh, slide. Uh, remember this. Um, oh, well, yeah, just don't read the slide yet. Just pause. Uh, what's going on? We need to remember this isn't about politics. So right now as we're in this subject, what will happen in many of us is we start to get a little resistant because this may sound too left or, or too Republican or too Democrat or too your party or too my party. We look at the news today in the United States and we start to identify where I might stand on this whole climate thing or ecological debate or this, that, and we start to have a political um, um, posture. What I'd like for you to do as Christians today, I'd like for you to remove the politic out of this for just a few minutes. I don't want you to engage what we're talking about as, as conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat, because in this room there's, there's, there's all of the above. And that's the beautiful umbrella that the family of God lives under, right? We love our roof here. Uh, but what we need to understand is this has nothing to do with American politics of the 21st century. This has to do with Christians stewarding God's earth. Now, God challenged his people, Israel, in, during the, through the prophet Ezekiel. The Israelites were in their land, and they were not taking care of their land either. God had given them specific instructions um, 
on what was called years of jubilee. Every seventh year, the land was to lay fallow. They were not to cultivate the land. They were to let it just grow natural. The next year, they would plow it again and go back to rotating their crops. And God had told them how to do this. And he had said that you rotate the fields and you rotate the crops so it's good for the land and it's good for the people. But Israel wasn't doing that anymore. They were just exploiting the land every way they could. Uh, And they weren't respecting their neighbor's land. They weren't respecting the land itself. This is what God said to them. Isn't it enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Or isn't it enough that you drink the clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? God was saying, was, take care of my land. Respect my land. Respect my things. Do it the way I told you. If you'll do it my way, it's in harmony. And that's the way I've designed it. Human beings, when we live in harmony with God's creation, the earth takes care of us. We take care of it. And it's great for the next generation. Whether or not you like the climate debate, remember it's not a political thing for what I'm about to say. As we look back historically, the Earth's temperature and the things that we pump into our atmosphere and heating and warming and cooling and, and, and the, the thermal changes that happen on Earth, they go through cycles. It always has. And the cycles always ebbed and flowed and, and warming seasons and down seasons and little ice ages and warming ages. And it's happened like this from time immemorial. It's why Egypt used to be a lush jungle and today it's a desert. It's why parts of northern Europe used to be uh, under ice caps and today uh, they're flourishing in cropland. We live in a perfect example here on the Niagara Escarpment uh, that, that used to be glaciers. And today it's wonderful cropland and a beautiful place to live. But 500 years ago, you didn't want to live here. (laughs) A thousand years ago, you couldn't live here. So we know that things have done like this. The problem is that really since about the 1930s, with the real kickoff in the Industrial Revolution, what we've seen is that the global temperatures have gone up and down and up and down. And right about the 1930s to 50s, they've skyrocketed. And that that cycle on its upswing has swung higher than anywhere in the geological record for about the last three and a half million years. Now, that's astonishing. We did that. Now, you say one thing or the other, whose fault it is one way or the other. Human beings are responsible for that. What are we going to do about it? You see, that's the great question that we need to engage. How do we fix it? What do we do? I think the first thing we got to do is go, okay... We've had something to do with this. It's always going to go up and down, but if it goes up and then way, way, way further up, okay, that's ours. So how does the Christian community engage in that? Do we make it political and and hate the people on the other side of the aisle? Do, Do we make policies that are punitive for other people and make us feel good? I don't know. I think what we have to do is start with this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we as Christian people need to find ways to take care of God's planet and to Manage the way that we live in ways that are responsible. Support companies that do it responsibly. And do it responsibly ourselves. Slide. Uh, Oh, next, that's a Shannon note. Okay, the second application has to do with the way we steward our vocation. So what's your vocation is what you do for a living. Some of you own your own businesses. Some of you work for other people. Some of you have people work for you. So the vocation, the thing that you do um, that is the way you earn your living, the way that we do it should exemplify the fact that we are stewarding God's resources, which are the finances that we use, the product we make, and the people that we employ, and the people that we serve. Slide. Uh, So uh, from the sacred and secular thing, this is a reminder from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. We must agree that stewards, as stewards of the Lord's interests, uh, we operate as His agents wherever and whenever they are. 
our income-earning jobs, household duties, volunteering endeavors, parenting, and efforts as students all present us opportunities to operate as representatives of the Lord. So what I did was I went and talked to, I think it was a total of 18 different um, uh, owners, managers, business operators here in the, the Door County area, and I asked them some simple questions. I said, hey, what would make a fantastic employee? What would a really great employee be like? What do you want from people who work for you? Are there things that the Christians um, who work for you should be doing differently? Would you have a different expectation? And so I asked these questions of them. And so the first one was Chris Moore, and he's the uh, owner of NEW. So run forward to that Chris Moore slide. And um, I asked Chris those very questions. And Chris said, he said this, just show up and have a right attitude. Be willing to learn. That's what he's asking. Show up, have a good attitude, and be willing to earn. That would make a fantastic employee. And all I could think was, that's all it takes? That's all you're asking? Yes, because it's so hard. People get the job, they don't show up. They show up late. They show up, you know, oh, I'm sick, I'm sick. No, you're hungover. That's why you're not here. You're supposed to be at the job on time. We depend on you. Uh, And so Chris was saying, those are the things they're really, really looking for. Uh, I talked to another business owner um, at Slide. And they said, uh, John, who was a local production manager, he said, do the job like you owe me something rather than the company owes you something. When you come to work here, you earn a paycheck. And as a result, I owe you a paycheck and you owe me a really good job. That's what you get paid for. You're not here because we owe you a job. You're here because you want a paycheck. And there's a product that we produce or there's a service that we provide. And therefore, you do a great job. We provide you pay. When you do a really fantastic job, the company does good. And a lot of times when the company does better, they're going to increase your pay. They're going to do that for the better employees because then the better employees do even better and teach other people. And so this is what John was saying. That's what I want out of an employee. The next one, um, she didn't want her name up here. (laughs) This is really funny. I said, what do you want from your employees? She goes, show up. Just show up. And she said, and don't steal from me. My God, that would be a great employee. And she was just really funny. I said, so... This is what you're asking. She says, I kid you not, Shannon. That's all I'm asking. Be here. Don't steal from me. That would be a fantastic employee. Man, that's not a really high bar, is it? But this is what people tend to work like in the workplace. How about the last one here? Um, The next one. Um, Ryan, who's a floor manager at one of our plants in town, I said, what would, you, what would you expect from Christian employees? Is there anything different you see and expect from them? And he goes, you know, uh, I've been doing this too long to expect anything different out of people who call themselves church people. You guys really aren't any different than anybody else. Sorry to say it to you, preacher, but you're all the same. That was a really great conversation. Now, Ryan doesn't like me. I'm not going to lie. You know, I know the guy. You know, he doesn't like me anyway. But, um, Ryan's issue is that he doesn't see any difference in Christians because here's why he doesn't like Shannon. I call myself a Christian. To him, that's just hypocritical nonsense for your religious and don't like gay people. That's his point of view. And, I, and I'm constantly trying to say, dude, that, that's not accurate. That's a silly thing. You've listened to the news too much. That, that's not truthful. But from his point of view, people who call themselves Christians... They work just like everybody else. They act just like everybody else. They have all the same problems everybody else does, and they're just as dishonest and lazy and and non-productive as all the other people that he has on his production floor. So, what do we do? How do we gauge the workplace as Christians? You got another slide? First of all, each one of us needs to see ourselves as an individual representative of Jesus 
in the workplace. Work like a Christian. Let the fruit of the Spirit be exhibited in you. If you're a business owner, treat your people that way. If you're a manager, treat them like that. If you're self-employed, treat your clients that way. If, if, if you're an employee, treat your boss and your job that way. Do it in such a way that people see a difference in you and that that, that difference evokes the question, why do you act the way you do? And especially if people know you're a Christian. Your work ethic, your product, your treatment of employees, the way you do the job, the, your finished products should always represent something that is godly. Don't separate the sacred and the secular because all you do, do it as unto the Lord. Slide. Um, uh, we'll skip this one. Go ahead. Uh, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Regard Christ the Lord as holy. Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Your work ethic should raise the question, why? At which point you get to say, this is why. I do it for this reason. Jesus had this impact on my life and my work ethic demonstrates it. Next slide. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. What Jesus was trying to get across was to these people was the way they did business. You shouldn't even need contracts if you're a Christian. Okay? Imagine with me. You ready? Open up your imagine word for your mind for just a second. Imagine you go to buy a car at the dealership, okay? And, and, and you go into the dealership and they, they walk through the process. You like this car? I like this car. This one's perfect for me. It's got all these things. The monthly payment works. It's all good. Okay, well, I got some paperwork for you to sign. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, no problem. It's all yours. Make the payments like you're supposed to. Got it? Okay, thank you. Have a good one. God bless you, buddy. Is that going to happen? Why not? Dale, why is that not going to happen? But it's not that way for a reason. You know what that reason is? Because people who've claimed the name of Jesus, right, have not always lived up to Jesus' instructions to them. And if Jesus says your yes is yes and your no is no, and on the 15th of every month you owe $300 or $600 or, you know, you Rockwells, $10,000 for your cars. I mean, wow! Right, but, but if, there's, if there's an area, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Phil doesn't live like that. Diane. Whoa, boy, Diane doesn't feel. He's a good... But, but listen, if we as Christians say, this is the commitment I make, we have to keep those commitments. Not because it's my name on the line, but because we represent Jesus Christ. And if Phil and I have a business and, and, and our, our business transaction, and I say, Phil, um, that I'll do this job and you'll pay X amount or we do it the other way around, I'm going to know that that's how Phil's going to do business. You know why I know that about Phil? Because Phil does business like a Christian. And I know he's going to do it right, and he's going to do exactly what we've agreed. And while we probably put things on paper and all that sort of stuff, I trust Phil because I've learned I can. Because as a Christian man, that's how he runs his business. Wouldn't it be amazing if that was universal of Christians? That we do things exactly the way we said we would, and you can always, wouldn't it be amazing if employees did things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, that we were kind, gentle, patient, truthful, honest, long-suffering, if that's what Christians really did in every workplace, and employers all knew that, go back into our imagination for just a second, and imagine how bosses would do their hiring. You know what they'd be saying? That's a lot of good resumes. Which ones are the Christians? 
That's the ones I want. Okay, it would be so great if Ryan, as a floor manager, instead of having to go, oh, you're all the same, if Ryan was like, no, no, I want the Christians here. I'd like to have them on the floor because I know the Christians are going to do a job in such a way that, that they do as an act of worship, and so it's good for our company, and those are the people. And after a while, here's what would start to work his way into his mind, you know? I want what they have. The way they live their life, the purpose they live it with, the peace they have, I want that too. Slide. Um, <clears throat> Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not to man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. For you serve the Lord Jesus. But he who does wrong will be paid for what he has done. And there is no partiality, brothers and sisters. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You may put bosses, give your employees, uh, business owners, give your clients what is just and fair. Um, in his day, he was talking to bondservants and masters in a Roman system that doesn't exist anymore. So, Paul's instruction was very clear. Do all you do as unto the Lord. And when you do it that way, you've, you've unified the sacred and the secular into one godly work that Christians do. Slide. <clears throat> the third application has to do with the way we steward our daily behaviors, the everyday things that we do. And now we come to why the trash cans or the recycle bins are on the stage. It's simple. If we treat the earth like the Lord's and everything in it, and we start thinking of things, uh, one little illustration here, how can I do something in my everyday life that matters? How can I do something that has kingdom impact, that has, uh, has merit and matter? One of the things we look at is simply recycling. Recycling is great in Door County. You know why? It's single source. It's so easy and it's free. You don't have to pay for recycling. This is amazing. In our place in Texas, there were three recycling trash cans and one garbage can. What a pain. And if you messed it up, if some, this happened to a neighbor of mine, he put a pizza box in the wrong container. He got a $750 fine. <laughs> Guess who didn't do recycling anymore? He was like, screw that. It all goes in the garbage. In Door County, this is great. You can put all your recyclables in one can, and they pick it up for you for free. Yay. And if they don't come pick it up for you, you can take it over to the incinerator. I can't call it the incinerator anymore. What do we call it now? The, the dump? over there on Shiloh. You can take it over there and drop it off, and it doesn't cost you anything. You can pour it in the bin. The glass, the aluminum, the plastic, the cardboard, the paper, bloom, it all goes in one. Old books, you can throw old books in there. Those things that you don't need anymore, all those Joseph Prince books you don't need anymore, throw them away. Just get rid of them. You can put them over there, and they, they drop right in, and they all go to get recycled. Here's what happens with recycling. Recycling means it gets turned back into product we use, which means we don't have to continue to uh, use agricultural resources and chemical resources. We can reuse the stuff that's already been made. Yay! A little bit more ecologically responsible. How fantastic is this? So the seven degradations of the earth that DeWitt had mentioned, it's a little bit less of all those. And if you do a little bit, and, and Phil and I do a little bit, you're never going to sit up front again, are you? And, and, and the six or eight other people do a little bit, but what if a billion Christians worldwide decided, hey, this matters every day. I'm going to do this little thing that all together makes a big thing, do you think we'd have an impact on the way industry runs and the earth runs? Slide. I don't remember what's next. Uh, active work. Okay. First uh, Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 says, When we arrive at the conclusion that the earth and everything in it are the Lord's, that's from Psalm 24, 1, and internalize the full weight of Romans 1, 19 to 20, we are confronted with the sheer magnitude of our responsibility as temporary stewards of the earth. So if we are temporary stewards of God's earth, 
recycling is one little way, one little example of things that we can do that treats the earth as if it's God's. So here's a question for you. you you've gone to the grocery store, okay? And there you are at the grocery store, and they say to you at the checkout counter, paper or plastic? Hmm, I have a choice. So now I'm going to think, not as a consumer, but as a Christian for just a second. Let's exercise. Which is more ecologically responsible? I can recycle the bag, or I can recycle the paper. Hmm. Which is the one that ends up in the oceans and the landfills, and every time there's a windstorm I see in fences and all over the road and out there in the bay, and then I catch in my nets and all that. Which is the one that creates the great garbage problem? Okay, so if I'm making a decision as a Christian, what am I going for? Okay, paper's recyclable. But if I do have plastic and it's the only thing and I've got plastic lid on my container, when I'm all done with them, what do I do with them? Well, throw it in the recycle bin. It still doesn't have to stay in your backyard. Throw it in the recycle bin. They pick it up at the curb or you drop it off. This is an easy step. So at the Souther house, we have a big recycle bin and a little trash can. (laughs) And the intention is, hey, it's metal. Throw it in there. It can be recycled. Hey, it's plastic. Hey, it's glass. Throw it in there. It can be recycled. Hey, it's an aluminum can. Throw it in there. It can be recycled. Hey, it's a straw. It's plastic. It can be recycled. And so regularly, we'll go through the trash can, you know, because we've got kids and they haven't quite internalized this yet. And so we'll go through and take out the things that are recyclable and put those in the recycle bin. And then that goes over here to the incinerate or the landfill and they drop it off for free. And what a great system. I'm not trying to tell you that if Jesus landed on stage today, he would say, you should all be picking paper instead of plastic. What I'm telling you is, start thinking, how can I do little things that matter? Uh, I think slide. I think I've got another slide. Yeah. Let's think of ways that we can motivate one another onto acts of love and good works, the things that we can do that are coming out of Christ's instruction to treat the earth as the Lord's and everything in it, to live and do everything you do every day as unto the Lord, because we know that our reward is in heaven, the kingdom value is in heaven, is what he's saying. Let's think of ways where our yes is yes and our no is no, our example is consistent, so that in all three of those ways, the way we treat the earth, the way we treat our vocations, and the way we treat our daily activities, all of those demonstrate there's a difference in us. And that difference is that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He lived a perfect life on earth, gave us a perfect example, died an innocent death, was resurrected, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And the earth belongs to Him because He created it, and He wants it redeemed. The same way He's redeemed your soul and turned you into a new woman or man, that inside of you is the renewal of your behavior. The heart is changing so that what comes out of your mouth is consistent with the change in your heart and your attitudes and your want-tos, your motivations. The same thing should exhibit now in the way that we raise our children, the way that we do our jobs, the way that we conduct ourselves as students, the way that we live ourselves, our, our lives every day, the way we act as consumers, the way we treat the ecology, the way we treat the planet, the way we treat our bosses and our employees and our clients. All of these things should be altered by the fact that we love Jesus and we steward what is His. Because in the very beginning, I had said, if you can go all the way back to that slide for me, David, that early slide, stewardship is when you are possessing somebody else's properties. Uh, Go forward, I think, three or four. It's an orange one at the top. It says stewardship. There you go. It's the process of managing someone else's property while it's entrusted to us. 
when someone else's stuff is entrusted to our care, that's stewarding and stewarding it well. And Jesus' example was, was, was those three stewards who were given his resources. And they used them in ways to honor him, or they just kept it to themselves. So bringing it all back down to what can we do? What we can do is treat everything on the earth as if it's the Lord's. And what everything includes, brothers and sisters, are God's people, God's word, the instruction here, and the way this impacts our lives and how we act. And the earth itself is the Lord's and everything in it. The way that we treat natural resources should reflect our Christian values. What you do with that in your own group and in your own lifestyle, church isn't going to dictate to you. That would be crazy. What needs to happen is you need to be making decisions prayerfully and intentionally about how we live our lives in ways that are consistent with our love of God and love of what's His. Fair enough? Okay. Um, yes, sir, go for it. I noticed this, this morning Super. I, I don't want you guys to feel left out, so I want to share <laughs> Thank you. Encouragement. Thank you. Thank you. I forgot. I didn't have my slide. Yay. Okay, so our, our do something as we're closing up today. Um, I'm asking you to do something, to do something that matters in our community, in our world. Um, Samaritan's Purse delivers these. It's called Operation Christmas Child. And around the Christmas season, every year, these go out all around the world. And with each one of these boxes, uh, what we do is we fill it up with, with toys and goodies and hygiene items like this, and the plan of the gospel comes with it. These boxes are presented to children in, in second, third world places. Um, those children open these. This, this box may represent the only present they've ever been given. But here's what happens. With this box is going to come a life-changing, exciting moment. And when they get it, they're going to hear the story of Jesus. They're going to enter into a little study that they go through for several weeks following that's done through local churches all around the world. And those churches are going to teach those boys and girls the story of Jesus and the message of the gospel. They're going to give them an opportunity to hear about Jesus and respond to that. As a result of this box, you open up the eyes and the ears and put in front of people the example of Jesus Christ. You can do this. And beginning today, we're asking that you take some of these boxes. They're in the back. Take them home. Follow the instructions. Fill them up. Bring them here to Sturgeon Bay Community Church. We're going to collect them along with our brother and sister churches in here and around the nation, around the world. And these are going to go to Samaritan's Purse and be delivered to kids. Here's what I would like to happen. I would like to challenge every one of you as an individual and every one of your life groups to do one of these boxes or more. As a church, I would like to see us bring 300 of these boxes here to Community Church uh, to deliver to Samaritan's Purse. I think it's a totally reasonable goal. Let me tell you how it's so easy. Uh, the life group that I led over the course of our series, we started off with about 28 folks in it, but then the teenagers all left because we got a youth guy now, so all my teenagers left. What's that about? So our groups, so I'm going to guess eight, ten people that are going to be remaining in our group here now um, as we meet. Um, I'm going to ask everybody in our group to do one, okay? So that means the group that I'm leading can generate about ten. The Souther House, we usually do a couple a year. So let's just say that's twelve, okay? That's just one little group, and that's just me. What if our teenagers as, as a group, where's Matt? Where'd I put you, Matt? I lost you. Did you go down? Are you leading down? He's leading downstairs, isn't he? <laughs> so, so what if Matt and his teen group, our group's what, 20, 30 down there right now? What, what, if, what if they did 15? 
okay? So now we're up to like 15, 20, 30 boxes already. I think doing 300 as a church is a totally reasonable thing to do. And these boxes do something. They put the gospel in, in front of kids, in their ears, in their eyes, in front of them, lived out. This is something you can do. What else can we do? What else can we put feet to? Well, this has been a major question throughout the course of our study. What can we do that has kingdom impact? We've looked at loaves and fishes. Many of you participated in loaves and fishes. Well done as a church. Outstanding. Don't stop now. Keep doing loaves and fishes. Our brothers and sisters at Principe's, every Thursday night, they feed folks in Surgeon Bay who need a meal. Uh, and they may need a meal for any number of reasons. Doesn't matter. We're not here to judge. We're here to help. And uh, so because we can do that, Pastor James has said, hey, join us. Help us do it. And I said, absolutely. Our people would love to. Maybe your life group would, would consider joining in with what Principe's is doing. And we actually want to start doing it on Tuesday nights fairly soon because people need to eat more than just Thursdays and Fridays, right? And so for Sturgeon Bay Community Church, we can participate. We can be a part of that. Um, so those are just some simple things. This week, I also talked to the Door County Land Trust. Can you jump to my land trust slides there? And I asked him, what could Sturgeon Bay Community Church do that would be helpful? And the lady there was amazing. Cinnamon was her name. She goes, oh, my gosh, it'd be amazing. Here's what we do. Um, it's a local, legitimate place. Can you go forward? That's the wrong slide. Go, go forward one. What's the land trust do? Pictures of Door County. One more. Uh, caring for. Okay. The land trust does this. It cares for the places that we preserve. The land trust is dedicated to taking land and returning it to its original condition, which means if there's a house on it, zip it goes down, they clean it up, they replant it the way it used to be, and then they maintain it permanently. You can't build anything on it anymore. You can't have eminent domain goes through it off the list. It's back to the way it was supposed to be. And the land trust makes it available for us to be able to enjoy for other people, future generations to be able to enjoy, and they make it possible that we return it to the way it used to be. Now, it doesn't mean the whole of Door County. We're not going to return all of Door County, obviously, but areas where we can, that's what the land trust does. And so how can we help? They said, oh my goodness, there's a whole list of things the church could do that would be wonderful. Some of them would just be, go visit the land trust and have a value for it. Another one might be, can you come out and do a project where we just pick up trash and clean on it? Would you be willing to help maintain a trail here and there? Would you be willing to have some folks uh, think about in the future if, uh, if they've got farmland or land or space that they're, they're not handing down or they could sell, but they could break off off three or four acres and donate it? Would you consider things like that? Because it has impact not just today, but for the next 300 years, because it will never get developed. It's protected now. What a great idea. The land trust, what's it cost? Most of the time, nothing. It's something that you can do that demonstrates Christians value God's property, God's land, God's earth, and we can do that. One of the other projects, they give you a little uh, tape measure. They gave one to Will, and they're asking you to go out and measure some of these little trees. Identify this tree. Oh, here's the sapling. Measure it. It's 27 and a half inches long. Okay, and you turn that data in. It helps them mine that data to find out how are the trees surviving? What are the indigenous trees we can replant? What are the things that are thriving? Where are areas suffering? Wetlands, farmlands. It all is really amazing what they do. That's easy. It's right here in Door County. But the challenge to your groups is going to endure this way. Just put it back on the do something slide if you would. The challenge to your groups is going to be this from now on, and to you as an individual. In all that you do, in word or in deed, do it as unto the Lord, so that people will see the good works in you and give glory 
to your Father in heaven. How can we do something that has impact for God's earth and God's people? As our worship team comes up, let me ask you to bow your eyes, bow your head, bow your eyes, bow your heads to close your eyes. Let's go into a moment in prayer, and I really want us, I really want us just to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit here for a minute. In front of your God, some suggestions and ideas and examples were presented today. They don't all have to be your thing. But I hope that they would challenge you with the very question I'm going to ask you to ask God right now. Lord, what can I do as a child of Jesus Christ that can have impact in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my world? What can I do? Friends, some of you have been given abilities that are much bigger than just recycling. Friends, some of you are going to hear God's call to the foreign field to be missionaries that go bearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in other languages and tongues and cultures. Hot dog. How cool. Others of you are going to be called to be amazing parents that parent as unto the Lord. Some of you are going to be called to be godly employees who work in such a way that transforms the workplace that you serve. Godly bosses, godly teachers, godly neighbors and friends. But Lord Jesus, in this moment where we've come together in prayer, God, I just ask that you would begin to impress on each and every heart in this room, how can we do something in the area around us where you've made us responsible? that has kingdom impact, kingdom value. Lord Jesus, we read in Scripture that you tell us to fill our mind with things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. God, you tell us to, to, to conduct ourselves in ways that demonstrate a change in our heart and our life with peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering. God, you give us these examples. Lord, would you show us now in our mind, in our open hearts, how can we do something that has kingdom value? God, I've tried to give us a few examples today, but I know that there's thousands of others that could apply that are unique to people and unique to our influence. God, we know that we're called to transform our community by loving you and loving others. God, we know that we're challenged as Christians to have impact. Not just to absorb into culture, but to transform it, to impact it. God, would you give us a real sense of that responsibility this morning? God, as our groups meet this week, I just pray for a lively discussion. Even if we disagree from this, that, or the other, God, I pray that you would give us lively discussion for ways that we can do things that matter, that have kingdom value, and that matter right now. Lord Jesus, for these boxes of Operation Christmas Child, I just pray for um, an unusual sense of excitement this year as we look to bring 300 of these in as a church. God, I pray that the way we live at work, the way that we conduct ourselves in everyday life will be transformed. 
And I pray that this becomes what Sturgeon Bay Community Church is known for. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our friend, our Savior, our Lord.